So there's a YMCA down in Carondelet uh, that my family and I like to go down to and play. Uh, we like to go down there and play every once in a while on my day off. Uh, and there are a lot of things about this YMCA that, that I like. There's, um, you know, there's, there's, the, there's the weight room, there's the basketball court, there's the, the free weights, the machine weights, there's the cardio area, which I try to avoid, you know, in general. Um, there's volleyball courts. I mean, there's all this cool stuff. But the big attraction for our family is the indoor pool. There's an, an indoor pool down at this YMCA, and in these cold, bitter winter months, it's really nice to be able to go down there, jump in the pool with the family, splash around. And it's a good pool. It's not just like your average rectangular pool. They've got a, a lazy river. They've got a whirlpool in there. They've got a kiddie playground area. They've got all this cool stuff. And when we go there, our kids, you know, us and our kids, are eager to run out of the locker room and jump in the pool and get to splashing around and having a good time. But it wasn't always that way for, especially for our, our little two-year-old Eden. Um, Eden, we thought, would love to get in the water. But when we first took her to the Y, uh, she would come right up to the water's edge and then she would stop. And she would refuse to put her feet in the water. Um, they have like a little slow baby grade in the pool. So it's not even like a step. It's like you can actually walk in and, and you, you, you'll only have a centimeter of water on your foot, right? They're making it really easy for the kids to ease into the water. And we thought that Eden, you know, we thought that all the kids would just love to do this. We've got, we've got her puddle jumper on. So she's, you know, her life jacket. So she's not going to, she's not going to be in trouble. You know, I'm standing there. Rebecca's standing there. The water ultimately is only this deep anyway, like at that part of the pool. So we just thought, you know, she'll, She'll like want to go into the pool. And we weren't trying to get her to jump off the diving board. We weren't trying to get her to jump in the deep end. We were just literally trying to get her to put her toes in the water. We were just trying to get her to get her feet wet. Because I, I knew that if she would just get her feet wet, then pretty soon she would get her ankles wet. And then she would get her knees wet. And pretty soon she's going to be splashing around having the time of her life. But it would have to start if and when she would be willing to get her feet wet. God calls you and I all the time into some territory, into some areas of life that are unfamiliar to us. That was the problem with the water. It's, it's, it's that it was unfamiliar. It was an area, it was a texture that she wasn't familiar with, except for drinking. She wasn't used to walking in it. God calls us into areas in our life where they are unfamiliar to us. And sometimes he is just calling us, look, I want you just to take a little step forward in this area in your life. I want you to get your feet wet because if you get your feet wet, I've got something for you, but I need you to take a step into the area where you need to grow. God has promises for you. God has a purpose for your life. God has a calling and a vision for your life. But sometimes those, especially when it's a new area, it's a little bit terrifying. It can be a little frightening. And he's saying, look, I just want you to get your feet wet. For some of you, it's, it's, think of it in your relationship. You're having a water's edge moment in your relationship right now. Like there's an area in your life, your relationship, uh, your, your romantic relationship, where you can see what could be. You can see a life of love and flourishing and hope and, and joy and, and anticipation, you can see it, that life, you can imagine it, but there are some things that you're going to have to get into that are uncomfortable for you before you can experience the result that you're desiring. 
Are you with me this morning, somebody? Right? You need to get your feet wet. That, that might mean, that might mean you're, going to have to, you're going to have to explore some areas of your life that you have left kind of tamped down for a while or hidden for a while. That might mean that you need to uh, deepen your prayer life with your spouse or with your significant other. Right? You, you, you might have to get into some spiritual things that you weren't ready to get into. And you're a little nervous about it. And God's saying, look, no, I want you to get your feet wet. It might mean that you're going to have to reach out and get some help from somebody else. A ministry council person or a pastoral person or a, or a, li- a licensed counselor. Uh, some, something that's unfamiliar to you because there's a, there's a hope, there's a picture of your relationship that you can achieve but you're going to have to get your feet wet. You're going to have to step into some uncertain territory, some unfamiliar ground. For some of you, it's not relationship. It's your, it's your career or your schooling. There's a, there's a picture of, in your mind of the life that God is calling you into. There's a picture that you want to achieve. It's a life of flourishing. It's a life of purpose. It's a life of fulfillment. It's a life of hope, right? And you want to, you want to go there, but... You're not quite ready to get your feet wet. You're not quite ready to take a step in. Let me bring it home on the spiritual front. Some of you have been around church for years. You've hung around church. You've been near it. You've seen it across the span. You might even come and hang out. You might just look at it from far away. But you're, you're really not quite ready to get your feet wet. Maybe you've been in church before. Maybe you grew up in church and you got hurt. In church, some bad things happened. Some people said some things that you wish they hadn't said. You had a bad experience. And so now you're nervous about getting your feet wet, right? And God's calling you to a life of greater spiritual fulfillment, greater spiritual depth, deeper faith, more power, strong, more, more strength, more courage, but you're not quite sure you want to get your feet wet. So, what I want to do this morning is look at a passage of scripture. Where God is teaching us through the children of Israel what he wants us to do when we are standing at the water's edge in life. When we're standing at the water's edge in some area of life where he's calling us deeper and we're reluctant. We're like, the, we're like my two-year-old. We're, we're reluctant to get our feet wet. We're reluctant to step into the water. So if you've been following this series for the last few weeks, you know we've been following Joshua Around And the Joshua has been leading the children of Israel. Children of Israel were freed from bondage in Egypt and they were delivered by God's grace. And God said, I want you to go into this promised land. I want you to go, go, go see what I've got for you. It's a land flowing with milk and honey. You'll experience, you'll, 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 you'll be prosperous and successful, Joshua 1 says. Just go there, right? But the children of Israel were afraid to get their feet wet. For 40 years, they were wandering around on this side of the Jordan. On, on, on the east side of the Jordan and Canaan is on the west side of the Jordan and they could see the promised land across the river but they just wouldn't go there. They, wouldn't, they would come up to the water's edge they just wouldn't get their feet wet. And so in today's passage we're in Joshua chapter 3 and I just love what God says in this passage because I think God has something to say to some of you through this passage today about the children of Israel. So we're going to start in Joshua chapter 3 and here's what it says. It says, early in the morning, Joshua and all the Israelites set out from Shittim and went to the Jordan where they camped. How many of you have ever camped at the water's edge of life? You've camped at the edge of what God has for you. You've camped right at the edge. You can 
Come on, I'm going to need some help this morning because I'm, I'm going to try to talk about some stuff. You, you can see where God wants you to go. You can see what God has for you. You can see a future that he has for you in your work and your relationship and your friendship. You can actually see it. It's just across the river. But you're camped out on this side. For whatever reason, you haven't taken the step. I have, a, I have an idea in my life. I've been talking about this for years. I want to write a book someday. I don't know what the book's going to be. I just want to write a book someday. And, and you know, that's a, that's a picture of what I want to do. And I think God wants me to do it. I, I, but for me to... Write the book, that means I gotta open the laptop and then I gotta type some words, right? I gotta get my feet wet. I gotta get started on it. Some of you have things in your life right now. You know what they are. Where God's saying, look, I've got this picture for you, but you're camped out on this side of the river. So it says they were camped there. The Lord said to Joshua, tell the priests who carry the Ark of the Covenant, when you reach the edge of the Jordan's waters, the Jordan is the Jordan River. When you reach the edge of the Jordan's waters, look at this. Go and stand in the river. Go get your feet wet. I want you to go and stand in the river. I don't have time to get into the whole Ark of the Covenant and all that kind of stuff, but I'll tell you this really quickly. The Ark of the Covenant, the Ark of the Covenant was the physical representation of God's uh, presence to the Israelites. It was this large, uh, this, this large chest that was covered in gold. And inside of the chest was Aaron's rod, his staff. And inside uh, was the, uh, the, the tablets of the Ten Commandments. And then there was a golden bowl that was full of manna. And the, and the rod represented uh, God's leadership, that God will lead you where he wants you to go. And, and the, the golden tablets represent God's authority. God will direct you. Uh, as you're going where he wants you to go. And then the bowl of manna represented the manna that God provided for the children of Israel in the desert, meaning that God's uh, going to provide for you. He's gonna, his, his provision will be there for you. And he said, look, I'm going to go out in front of you. Take the ark, tell the priests to go stand in the water. I want them to go get their feet wet. So why did he want them to get their feet wet? Here, here it goes, the next part. It says, Joshua said to the Israelites, as soon as the priests who carry the ark of the Lord, set their foot in the Jordan. As soon as they get their feet wet, come on, somebody track with me on this. As soon as they get their feet wet, then the waters flowing downstream will be cut off and stand up in a heap. What he's saying is, I want you to take a step into the water, and after you step into the water, then I will part the water and you will walk through on dry ground. But I need you to step into the water first. So will you help me today? Will you turn to somebody next to you and in a loving but firm voice announce the title to this sermon? Tell them, get your feet wet. Come on, tell them. Would you do that? All right. Somebody's going to help me preach this morning. Before I, before I drill down on this, on this message, before I drill down on this story, I need, to, I need to contrast it to a couple other stories. Can we do a Bible study this morning? Is that okay? All right. So, so there was another crossing of the water story. You might remember it. It was 40 years earlier. It was when Moses was leading the children of Israel out of the, out of the bondage of slavery in Egypt. And they were coming out of, the, out of the bondage of slavery. And Pharaoh and his army said, wait a minute. We shouldn't have let those folks go. Those were our, that was our workforce. They were our slaves. 
We need to get them back and bring them back into bondage. We need to bring them back into slavery. And so Moses was leading the children of Israel out of bondage. They came across the Red Sea. They came right up to the Red Sea. Do you remember this story? If you grew up in church or you went to Sunday school, they came right up to the Red Sea. And the Philistine, or the Philistine, the, the, the Egyptian army was coming up right behind them. And they were in that place in life where, where there are no good options. Anybody ever been in a place like that? Where there's just not a lot of good options. You've, you've, put, you've painted yourself in a corner. You've backed yourself into a situation where you don't know uh, how you're going to get out of it. So they've got a Red Sea in front of them, and they've got Pharaoh's army behind them. And the, and, and the, the fascinating thing is that God says to, to, to Moses, he says, Moses, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to deliver you. Here's how I'm going to deliver you. Just stretch your rod out over this water, and I will part it, and then the children of Israel will walk through on dry ground. But notice the distinction. They didn't have to step into the water. They didn't, have to, they didn't have to exercise a lot of faith in that moment. They didn't have to put themselves at risk in that moment. They had no good options. And God said, I'm going to part the Red Sea and you're going to walk through on dry ground. You just have to put, Moses, just put the staff out over it and I will part it. Right? So that's a very different dynamic than this. He's not telling them to get their feet wet at the, in the first story. Right? Because the first story is about deliverance. The first story is about that, that moment in life when God says, look, you know what? I'm going to pluck you out of bondage. I'm going to pluck you out of the slavery of sin. I'm gonna, you don't have to do anything. You just have to walk into it. All you have to do is just come across and enjoy it because I'm going to do all the work. This is God's picture of love. This is God's picture of grace. This is God's picture of mercy. He says, you don't have to do anything. I'm going to part the Red Sea. You're going to walk through it. And when they come to, to chase after you, I'm going to close the Red Sea and you're going to be free. You're going to be free of the sin and the bondage and the slavery that you were in. So that's the first story, right? Some of you are there right now. Some of you are in the story of you have no good options. You don't know what to do. You don't have the strength or the faith or the courage to step into something. You just need God to part the water for you so you can come out of it, right? That's some of you. Now, I want to contrast that with one more story. Fast forward 3,300 years later. Simon Peter's in a boat in the Sea of Galilee. It's 157 feet deep in the boat. He's one of Jesus' closest followers. The storm is raging. The waves are lashing at the boat. Simon Peter sees Jesus on the water, walking towards him. And he says, Jesus, if this is you, tell me to step out onto the water. And Jesus says, Simon, come. Come. Okay, now this is, this is very different from the first story, right? In the first story, they got to walk across on dry land. They didn't get any moisture on their sandals, no moisture on their toes, right? They're just all easy, easy breezy. This story, in, in Simon Peter's Sea of Galilee story, He's having to step out into absolute certain death unless God does some, a miracle for him, right? The level of faith that is required for that is just immense, almost unimaginable. So immense that none of the other disciples did it, right? The 11 other disciples were like, hey, we love you, Jesus. I mean, we're, we're saved and everything, but we're just going to stay in the boat, okay? You, Peter, do your thing, right? Even Peter didn't do it all the way correctly. He stepped out, then he got all nervous, and then he took his eyes off Jesus, then he started going down the water. Jesus had the firemen carry him back into the boat, you know, the whole thing, right? So, so this story represents those moments in life where you need to step out in a reckless sense of faith. You're risking your life, you're risking your family, you're risking relationship, you're, you're risking your career, you're risking everything. That's what this moment is about. A lot of you haven't had this moment. Most of you probably don't want it. Right? I mean, I, I don't know if I want that moment. I don't know if I'm ready to do a Simon Peter 
right now. You know, I, I, I'm not sure I'm ready for that. Now, I've already, had, I've already had the Red Sea moment. I've already been delivered. I'm not sure if I'm ready to have that moment. Most of us are right here in the Jordan River moment where God is saying, I have more for you. You're already saved. I've already delivered you. I have more for you. I've got a promised land for you. I've got a purpose for you. I've got a vision for you. I've got a calling for you. I've got a dream for you. But I need you to exercise some faith and take a step and get your feet wet because when you do, you're going to be surprised by what I do as a result of your faith. Are you with me? You see, when the children of Israel were liberated the first time, they didn't have to exercise a lot of faith, right? Because the water was already parted. But the problem with not having exercised a lot of faith is that they didn't have the strength of faith to overcome their fear. And that's why for 40 years they wandered around in the desert. And God was saying, I want you to come into the promise. But they hadn't developed the faith that would help them overcome the fear. And so God now is saying, look, I need you to, de- I need you to develop something. I need to build something in you. I need to grow something in you, which means I need you to overcome your fear, which means I need you to step out and get your feet wet. Why is it? Why is it that we, 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 we camp out on this side of the promise? Let me ask you this. Why is it that you, why is it that you do that? Why, why do I do that? Why do we often see what God has for us and wants for us, but we are unwilling to take whatever step is necessary to get there? Right? And you guys are good. You guys are good. Could you put up that next slide? Here's what I would, here's what I would propose. Here's what I would propose. The children of Israel, and we know why the children of Israel didn't cross for early on, right? Because the first time, 40 years ago, when Moses said, go spy out the land and come back and then we'll go take it, right? Ten of the, tri- ten of the spies came back and they, you know what they said? They said, we can't take it. Why can't we take it? Because they are giants and we look like grasshoppers in their sight, okay? You know what they call that? They call that distorted thinking. They call that exaggerated thinking. When you look at a problem and the problem becomes so much bigger and more immense than you can imagine, and you become so much smaller and inconsequential than you can imagine, the only thing that causes that level of distorted thinking is fear. It's fear. They were terrified to step into what God had for them. Another reason we know that it was fear that was preventing them is because in the first chapter of Joshua, three times God says, Joshua, be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous. The only reason you tell somebody to be strong and courageous is because they are weak and afraid. Right? They were terrified. God is saying, I want you to do something that you are afraid to do. I want you to step into something that I know you are terrified to step into. You're going to have to step into something that is beyond your ability, beyond your strength. You know, you don't tell somebody to be courageous when they're doing something that doesn't require courage. You know? If somebody's making a cup of coffee... You don't have to go, hey, man, be courageous and just make that cup of coffee right now, right? They're fine. I got this, you know? But when, you, when they're afraid, that's when you say be strong and be courageous. Be strong and be courageous. But here's the thing with fear, and some of you are already uh, uh, aware of this. In fact, let, let me give you another reason that I know they were afraid, because not only... Where they, this is all new territory for them. They're going to have to meet new people. They're going to have to fight new battles. But there's a little hint in the scripture that tells us there was another reason to be afraid. In verse 15, it says this. Now the Jordan River is at flood stage all during harvest. 
So the Jordan River is a significant river anyway. But at flood stage, it's, it's, it's very serious. In fact, I found a video for you of somebody videotaping the Jordan River at flood stage at harvest. Let me just show you what it looks like at harvest. This is, this is, this is, what, this is the Jordan River during the flood stage. I mean, it's, 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 not, it's not something you just want to dive into. You've got a few thousand people. You've got elderly people. You've got children. You've got cattle. You've got livestock. And God is saying, I need you to cross that. I want you to go cross that, right? So there's fear. There's fear. There's the Jordan River that each of you are facing in life. And God is saying, look, I need you to, I need you to step your foot into it. I need you to step your foot into it. But here's the problem with fear. We don't like to face the fact that we are afraid. I'm going to get deep with you. <laughs> We're good. We got time. We do not, and let me talk to the men just for a minute, because this might be even more of a man thing, you know, than, than a woman thing. I don't know, but I, I, I sense this with a lot of our guys. We are good at connecting with some of our emotions, but fear is not one of them. All right, guys? Anger, we can, we can a lot of times connect with that emotion, right? That's pretty accessible. I know where to locate that. You know, I can get there. Not a problem. Okay? I can find that. If we're, if we're really evolved and developed as men, sometimes we can experience sadness. You know, my wife helped me with that one over the years. She was like, you know, you're allowed to have that emotion as well. And I was like, oh, I thought it was just mad and happy. And she's like, no, there's, there are other emotions you're welcome to experience at times. Yeah. So you guys are laughing with too much familiarity. Um, so, you know, I'm more evolved now. I, I can cry and be sad, right? But fear is something that you don't want to admit that you're experiencing. That's why on the playground, and I'm not going to use the words, but the harshest words that you can level at another guy on the playground when you're a little kid all have to do with his cowardice. Just think about the words. I can't, none, some of them I can't say. None, none of them. I'm a little scaredy cat, I can say. You call somebody a scaredy cat. Okay, then, then advance on down. What else would you call it? Don't say it out loud. Right? But... But those are, the, those are the words that you will use to undermine someone's identity because, because we don't want it. You, you wouldn't, it wouldn't be insulting to say, you're a mad person. Okay, whatever, right? But if you say, you're, you're afraid, you're, right? So fear is something we don't want to accept that we experience, and so we disguise it. We disguise it as other emotions. Here's how we disguise fear, and this is all of us. We can disguise fear as apathy, Okay? Show me someone who acts like they don't care. I will show you someone who is terrified. Apathy says, I don't care about the stupid promised land anyway. I didn't care about that job anyway. I didn't care about that relationship anyway. I didn't care about getting into that school anyway, right? This is what the children of Israel did. They said, hey, Moses, why didn't you just leave us in Egypt? Like, we were better off in Egypt. We don't care about the dumb promised land, right? They act like they don't care. But really, they're afraid. And so they've disguised their fear as apathy. Man, we're going to just drill right down into somebody's heart today. Some of you might be like, dude, I have no idea what he's talking about. Somebody is sitting in here going, oh, my God, he is talking to me right now. Right? Apathy, it says we don't care. Right? And so we, we, we won't even admit that we're afraid because we don't want to face the fear. So we act like we don't care anyway. Come on, somebody. So there's apathy and then there's cynicism. Cynicism is, if you ever meet somebody who's cynical, you're, you're talking to somebody who's afraid. 
They're afraid. Cynicism is a cover. It's a disguise for fear. Cynicism is what the children of Israel said to Moses when they said, weren't there enough graves in Egypt, Moses, that you had to bring us out into the desert? You know, like, did did God bring us out here to kill us? So they're cynical. When you meet somebody who's jaded and cynical and bitter, it's because they've been hurt and it's because they're afraid of getting hurt again. So they're cynical. And, and God, God wants to say to even those of you who are apathetic and cynical, what he's really saying is, look, hey, man, I know you're afraid. And it's okay. Because I just, I'm right here. I just need you to take a little step. I just need you to get your feet wet. I don't need you to jump into 157 feet of water, you know, and risk everything. I just need you to get your feet wet. I just need you to take a step with me. A third way that we disguise our fear is through distraction. Distraction or diversion. Right? This is a great way. If you want to not face your fear, get super busy. Just get super busy with other things. Start doing a whole lot of things so that you don't have to do the one thing that God wants you to do. Right? So get real busy. Do a lot of stuff. Commit to a lot of things, but don't commit to the one thing that God wants you to commit to. This is how you cannot face your fear. This is how you can disguise your fear. Children of Israel, you know how they did it? They built a golden calf and they worshiped the golden calf. Right? Instead of stepping into what God had for them. He said, look, I've got a promised land for you. They said, no, 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 no. We're going to be over here partying, playing some music, worshiping a golden calf and having a good time. We don't care about the promise. We're, we're going to get distracted. Right? Some of us today are so busy. And our busyness is a thinly disguised veil of our fear. And God's saying, I, don't, I know you're afraid. It's okay. I want you to be strong and courageous. The only way you can be courageous is if you're afraid. The only way you can exercise courage is if you're in a situation that makes you fearful. It's okay. Come step into it. Come step into what I've got. Come get your feet wet. Last one is this. I call it chronic discontent. Chronic discontent. If you ever meet somebody, this is the children of Israel. Scripture over and over. It's funny. They were mumbling and grumbling. In fact, I think in in Hebrew, it's like they were, you know, the word sounds like mumbling and grumbling. It's an onomatopoeia. It's too much information. But anyway, it's like they, you know, they were, they were, they were grumbling. They were, whenever you meet somebody who is chronically dissatisfied and chronically discontent, what you're, who you are talking to is a person who is afraid to move forward into what God has for them. And so they, rather than move forward into it, rather than face it, they criticize and are discontent with what is happening in their life right now. And they just won't move forward. And God is saying to each and every one of us, he's saying, look, I know you're afraid. It's okay. I want you to just take a step. All I need is for you to come and get your feet wet. Children of Israel, 40 years they've been wandering. Now they're camped at the river. The water is rushing. God is saying to them, look, come and take a step. You can see across the river what I've got for you. I just need you to come and get your feet wet. Now, most of the people who had left Egypt were already dead. These are the children of the people who left Egypt. They had heard about this promise, but they had never tasted it, never touched it, never smelled it. They just kind of heard about it. And Joshua is saying, come on, guys, be strong and be courageous. And so finally, finally, after 40 years of wandering in the desert, Joshua chapter 3, verse 15 says this. As soon as the priests who carried the ark reached the Jordan and their feet touched the water's edge, The water from upstream stopped flowing. It piled up in a great heap 
a great distance away, while the water flowing down to the Sea of Arabah, that is the Dead Sea, was completely cut off. So the people crossed over opposite Jericho. Forty years of wandering. And finally they said, all right, we're just going to get our feet wet. And when they got their feet wet, when they put their feet in the water, when they exercised that step of faith, a small step of faith, God parted the water and they walked across on dry land into the promised land. Here's the question that I have for you. Where do you need to get your feet wet today? Some of you have been wandering and uncertain and afraid and, and holding off and camped at the water's edge. And God is saying, look, all I need you to do is just take a single step of faith. I just need you to get your feet wet because then I've got something for you on the other side. When I got, finally, when I got my daughter Eden to, to, to dip her toes in the water, and you can help me close on this, Gary. When, when she dipped her toes in the water, what we thought would happen did happen. She got her feet wet, and then she got her ankles wet, and then she got her knees wet, and then she got her waist wet, and then she got her chest wet. And now when we go to the YMCA, you can't keep the girl out of the water. Like, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta be surrounding her. She's gonna go dive into the water with her little life jacket on, right? She's splashing around having the time of her life. But she, she, she can only do that after she was willing to take that first step. Today, I just wanna, I just wanna challenge you, encourage you, call out to you, and say, God has got things for you, for your relationships, for your career, for your life, for the purpose and the vision that he has for you, but you're gonna to have to trust him. You're gonna to have to put your faith in him. You're gonna to have to be willing to take a step. You're gonna to have to be willing. If you wanna get into the promise that he has for you, be willing to get your feet wet. Let me pray for you. Father God, we are grateful for your word. I pray that you would lead us, give us strength and courage to get our feet wet to take a step in the direction of your purpose and your promise. I pray that this hits somebody today. I pray that it resonates in somebody's heart, somebody who's facing a decision, somebody who's facing a hardship, somebody who's facing a challenge or a difficulty. God, give them the strength to take the step into the purpose that you have for them. We lift you up. We give you praise. In Jesus' name, amen.